You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature, consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates. That's at Podcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces. And let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. All right, Jim, this time for our Christmas episode, we have two silent movies we have silent hill and silent night deadly night so merry christmas to you jim (laughs) merry christmas to you too patrick i couldn't think of two better movies it's always a merry christmas when silent night deadly night is involved i'll just leave it at that for now (laughs) okay okay so patrick the first movie that we watched this week was silent hill and, um, this was a new one for me. I had never seen this before. Yeah, and I think the last time I saw it was probably 2012 or thereabouts, right around the time that the newer one came out, the, the sequel, second one. yeah. Yeah. But for anybody who doesn't know, and I know you know this, but for anybody who doesn't, Silent Hill movie is based on the video game franchise, the video game series. And I only played the first two, but I think pretty much everything in this movie has things from the first two games, which is pretty interesting. See, you say you know that I know this, and I do, but barely. It's like just recently I like learned what Silent Hill was. My video game knowledge of games that I've never played is virtually non-existent. Like only recently did I just learn what Bioshock was. Oh, and, really? Uh, Yeah, so it's like, for the longest time, I would get things like Silent Hill and Resident Evil and all that crap mixed up, you know, I I just, I've never played them, so I don't really know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've been getting Resident Evil and Silent Hill mixed up for a while. And for a long time, I was aware of this movie as that horror movie with Sean Bean in it, and we can get into this, but Sean Bean's barely in it. Yeah, I wonder how much they paid him. When I was younger, I mean, I think I was the only one out of my friends that had played any of the Silent Hill games. But for us, we knew it as that movie with Pyramid Head. Pyramid Head is awesome. Dude, he's, like, the, he's the real star of the a, movie. He's a monster, yeah. You kind of wish he had more screen time here. Yeah. I mean, I don't really want to get into it too soon, but I think he uh, he might have better kills than uh, any of the kills in Silent Night, Deadly Night. But that, hey, that's just my opinion. I don't know, man. We got the antlers. I, I know, I like that one a lot. I, I wrote down exclamation marks in my in my note-taking. Oh, I wrote down question marks, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Going back and reading up on the game, because I hadn't played the game since 2003, maybe? I, I, either of the first two games. But from what I remember, it the, this movie actually follows along pretty closely with the story of the first game, with the plot of the first game. Okay. Uh, except the protagonist in the movie is a woman. Meanwhile, in the game, it's a man. So it, sh- it should be Sean Bean running around. Yeah, which I kind of thought, like, after I finished watching the movie, I thought, oh, that maybe would have been interesting. That was my point. I just wanted to say that it was actually pretty close. They the did game. mess around with character names, as I understand. Cheryl is now Sharon for virtually no reason. I, I you know, yeah. I, I, I don't, I think some things just can't be explained, and I don't, I don't know why they changed that name. Moving into it. So this movie opens with a woman named Rose yelling for her, who we soon find out is an adopted daughter, Sharon. And her and her husband, Christopher, played by Sean Bean, are looking for her because apparently she sleepwalks. 
and uh, she manages to get out of the house. So Rose finds her standing next to a gorge yelling Silent Hill, and uh, Rose saves her from falling in. Yeah, I, I actually really like how this opens. The, there's some really neat shots, the landscapes and everything of, mm-hmm. of this hill, wherever the hell it is. I think it's something in Canada, because I know they, they did a lot of shooting in Canada and a lot of shooting in Pennsylvania. But anyways, it looks really neat. It does, yeah. Directly after this, we kind of get like this. I'm a little confused about this scene, to be honest, but I think it's like an exposition, an expository flashback slash real-time thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's actually a flashback. Rose is telling her, you know, we're taking you to Silent, or I'm taking you to Silent Hill because you talk about it a lot in your sleep when you sleepwalk. And then we also see shots of Sean Bean looking up what Silent Hill was, and we discover that it is an abandoned town that was abandoned because of these massive coal fires in the mines beneath the town that are still burning. We were going to get to this eventually. I would just like to stay, say right now, you could remove Sean Bean and all the scenes from this movie and oh, nothing yeah. would change, right? I think it was a studio note that, you know, there are no male characters in here. So write in this other male character, but they didn't really give him anything to do. All he does is go around with a cop and learn a bit about the town of Silent Hill, which honestly isn't that needed and it's not that interesting no and besides we get more information about silent hill near the middle end of the movie with rose than sean bean ever would have found out yeah and i i also think it's something that's best left very very mysterious i assume that's how they were able to make an entire game franchise out of this you know actually i guess before again before continuing spoilers sharon is part of a soul of this girl, Alessa, who's been essentially split into three different people. There's the physical form, the body of, of this of this girl who's still alive. There's this evil, dark version of Alessa. Then there's this good, innocent version of Alessa, which is Sharon. I think in the game, the townspeople burned her for being a witch because she had, like, supernatural powers, which they kind of allude to in this movie, but it's really confusing because they don't actually... As I understand, I was doing a little bit of research... That's kind of what they do in the movie, but I think in the game they killed her to try and bring back like these, bring these like monster gods to yeah life yeah. yeah I, I so think it's that's a it. different motivation of the cult, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, anyways, I don't remember where I was going with that, but it's it's a very confusing story for anybody who doesn't. Yeah, I'm not sure really the, the movie knows where it's going with it. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I kind of hate how this story is told, at least with Alessa. You know, the idea of like something, you know, like a double, like representing something in the actual person. Mm-hmm. That could be interesting, but I think it needs to be less literal. It's pretty literal here. You have like a darkness and an innocence. And I'm just like yeah. not a fan of that kind of storytelling. And this even goes to, it doesn't really manifest itself in the movie, but as I understand it from Wikipedia diving months ago, Pyramid Head, if you will, the mascot of Silent Hill, kind of the most iconic thing, even though he's not introduced until the second game. He represents like the protagonist's like desire to be punished or something. Again, I haven't played yeah. the game, so I'm just getting yeah. this off of Wikipedia. And the way it's written anyways, it's like, it seems way too literal. It's like, it's written as if that's like a given that you don't interpret it that way. And I'm like, that sounds kind of dumb. Like, that'd be cool if you could <laughs> interpret it that way. Yeah. And that it's not, but it seems way too literal, at least to me. I well, don't you know. know. It, it, seems, know? it seems like regarding the game, I think that was supposed to be that that wasn't supposed to be taken as literally as it was however in explanation of what people like pyramid head it almost forces the creator's hand to be very literal with it if that makes sense 
Anyways, Rose and Sharon are eventually driving towards uh, Silent Hill. They're trying to find the town, and eventually this cop pulls them over because she kind of spied them at this gas station, thought maybe the little girl was in trouble or something. It's explained later why is, she's, yeah. like, suspicious of them, but honestly, it's really weak. It's She just, like, immediately antagonizes them when she sees them at the gas station. It's just like, oh, sure, I'll follow them. And I'm like, what? Yeah, What are we exactly. doing? Yeah. But then I think about how cops are in real life, and I'm like, okay, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised she didn't shoot her. Yeah. Well, she is white. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, I've got him. But, uh, yeah, well, to that point that you're referring to, I guess we might as well just say it now. This cop, Sybil, Sybil Bennett, who's also from the game, she actually looks surprisingly similar to what she looks like in the game. I, I could just tell the way she's, like, dressed in the movie. I'm like, that is a video game look to a character, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's even this hero shot. So, I mean, later on when we see her take her police motorcycle helmet off, there's kind of, like, this weird sweeping, almost anime style hero shot of like her ripping this helmet off and like throwing it to reveal this bright blonde hair her character in the game also has this very bright noticeable blonde hair so it was, it was a nod to the game specifically other than naming the character sybil yes so rose and sharon actually see a turn off for silent hill as they've been stopped by this this officer and they just floor it towards silent hill and sybil chases them and then as they're crossing a bridge this girl steps out onto the road or a figure i should say steps out onto the road and uh, Rose loses control of her vehicle, and she spins, and she blacks out. When she wakes up, it's no longer nighttime. Everything's very light, just covered in a thick blanket of fog. And it looks like there's snow falling constantly, but it isn't. It's ash. Yeah, this I love the look of the town oh, like yeah. this. It looks just really neat. I assume it's very close to how it looks in the games, but I don't know. But yeah, the, the idea of the snow being ash is a really neat detail. And yeah, it just looks really, this looks like the type of world that, you know, you can imagine it as a video game. You just want to go exploring. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think in the first game there was, I think it was actually snow maybe, but uh, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, I think I read that, that the, the snow as ash was a detail created for the movie. Yeah, which I mean, I think is a great, is a great addition. It's really cool. So Rose wakes up and she finds out, or she realizes that uh, her daughter's missing. So she starts looking for her in this ashy abandoned town and she sees her daughter running down the street so she chases her and eventually this chase leads her to follow her daughter into this kind of dark stairwell that goes underground almost into like a bunker or something yeah it's sort it's sort of just like an alley stairway yeah and i don't know where it leads i don't think it really matters where it leads because we don't see the rest of it until the transition whatever you want to call that i think they call it like the fog dimension or something yeah i think it's called the nowhere maybe i don't remember but that might be a name from the game but uh, so as she's descending these stairs, I, my favorite sound in the history of sounds plays through the speakers, and it's uh, the an Godzilla air siren. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, uh, no, it's a great sound. Yeah, and and, and uh, she's descending these stairs while this air raid siren is going off, and when she gets to the bottom, she's in pitch black, and she turns her lighter on, and instead of this light, foggy, ashen world, it's now this deep red, mucky. I almost want to call it like a squishy world, if that makes sense. Like, it's just, everything just looks wet and gross, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's dark and industrial looking. Yeah. 
she continues to chase her daughter through this kind of world until she gets stopped by a fence, a chain link fence, and she backs up and there's actually a body strapped to this chain link fence with what looks like guts on the floor in front of it. And as she's kind of noticing this body and is terrified by it, these creatures start approaching her from behind and, and then eventually from all sides. This is something that I thought was really neat that they added in the movie because Patrick, I know you don't know this, in the game, in the North American version of the game, they had to remove some enemies from uh, Silent Hill 1, and they were called Grey Children, which is what these things are. Is that what were. these things are? Okay. Yeah. And uh, in North They're America... They're like the they... least grey monsters we have in the movie. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? Yeah. They're more like little fire toddlers, like grey fire toddlers. Yeah, they've got like that magma effect kind of around their neck. But uh, yeah, so in North America, they were replaced by something called Mumblers, I think, uh, which look nowhere near as scary. But the censoring powers in North America thought it was too terrible to make it look like you were killing children. <laughs> so that replaced them. But I thought that was also a nice nod because they, that was famously changed. They put these gray children in the movie. Unfortunately, I think these are the worst looking monsters in the movie, just effects wise. Not yes, Nothing yeah. against the design. I think, I think the design to all of the monsters in this movie is pretty good. And most, if not all, I assume are ripped directly and faithfully from the game. So I can't really give mm. the film credit for that. But as for the visual effects, some things look better than others. And I think this is on the low end. They're they're above the bugs, but not much. I agree. These great children start attacking Rose, and uh, she kind of pushes through a door and collapses onto the floor. Just as it looks like she's about to be killed by these creatures, they all kind of just, like, dissipate into ash. I guess, if dissipate is the word I could use there. Um, yeah, it's, it's very uh, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's exactly what it was. This effect they used throughout the movie where, like, things just, like, kind of fade into ash and it looks like chipped paint going mm -hmm. up and down as the world transitions between dimensions or whatever. The entire time I was thinking, like, hey, this looks awesome. It's really, really cool. As I understand it, this was invented for the movie and then later, on, later games started copying it. Mm -hmm. But I was also thinking, like... I hope they sued Disney, Marvel. <laughs> I, <really do. laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it. It looks like they've completely ripped it right out of. I almost call it Resident Evil, <laughs> of uh, uh, Silent Hill. Underworld, Resident Evil. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. One of those ones. But anyway, so she she passed out. Rose passed out while these monsters were attacking her. When she wakes up, it's again this foggy, kind of bright world. There's a ring of fire playing on the old jukebox in this bowling yep. alley that she wakes up in. I read that's the only music in this movie that's not actually from the games. So really? every uh, the rest of this the musical score apparently is taken from the first two, three, four, however many Silent Hill games. And it kind of shows because a the music's pretty good, but it's also it also seems really out of place at times. But anyways, mm -hmm. but anyways, Rose wakes up and uh, she starts kind of frantically running through this town looking for her daughter and just trying to get out. She finds this road out of town, but it just kind of abruptly ends at this chasm of fog. So she kind of realizes that she can't leave Silent Hill. And while she's there, this kind of crazy woman uh, who we... I don't know if we find out her name in the movie, but her name's Dahlia. This crazy woman approaches her and uh, starts trying to talk to her about Silent Hill. And Rose shows her a picture of Sharon in her locket. And Dahlia kind of flips out and says, that's mine, that's mine. So right from that meeting with Dahlia, we're kind of led to believe that maybe Sharon is Dahlia's daughter. That's how I took it the first time I watched the movie. I don't know yeah. about you, though. Yeah, I, I was just distracted that Dahlia, you know, they make her up to be like this 
she's kind of halfway to the dumpster demon from Mulholland Drive. <laughs> she's like really creepy looking. But you can also absolutely tell that there's just a beautiful actress underneath all that makeup. So it was kind of distractive. Yeah, you know who she reminded me of actually in looks? And and I thought the exact same thing about there being a beautiful actress under all that makeup. It was, um, oh shit, what's her name? Uh, Calypso in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. There's only one Pirates of the Caribbean movie. The others don't count. Don't bring bring that shit up here. Okay, never mind. Then never mind. But anyways, uh, after this encounter with Dahlia, Rose runs back to her car to get out of Silent Hill. But her car won't start. And as she's trying to start her car, Sybil walks up and (laughs) attempts to arrest her. She realizes that the car won't start, so she's going to walk her back to town. Yeah, Sybil at this point, I guess, went through the same thing that she did. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and she and I guess she fell off her bike and got knocked out and then woke up in this world just recently. Sybil then tries to leave with Rose, and Sybil also finds out that, oh no, there's no leaving. Yeah, and the entire time Rose is trying to tell her, like, you're not listening to me, something weird's going on here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. We're oh, in a and, horror and, and, movie. And then this is when we learned that Sybil had actually followed them, and she was concerned for the girl because, um, I don't know, some... There was a kidnapping in that part of West Virginia, like, one time, and I'm like, that's eh, kind of a flimsy excuse, but whatever. Yeah. Because kidnapping is contagious. If it happens once, <laughs> other people are going to be doing it, you know? Exactly, yeah. Well, we hear later in the movie that she found that kid in the mine and stayed with him in the bottom of that mine for three hours until the authorities found Sybil and the kid that had been kidnapped. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, exactly. doesn't matter. Moving on. As we're trying to figure out what to do, this monster just kind of shows up out of nowhere, and it's disgusting. It has yeah, no arms. Yeah, these armless dudes, yeah. Yeah, it has no arms, and it just has like these crooked legs, and it's like, dripping like acid blood or something acid goo on the ground acid something yeah because it eventually spits that out and it lands on sybil's helmet which is when you get that cool hero shot of her ripping off her helmet and revealing her bright blonde hair while that's going on rose is handcuffed and she runs away and for some reason i don't know if i missed this in the movie i did not see the part where she was where she figured out where to go to find her daughter which was oh yeah she's just looking at the bus station yeah which i I think is a map from the game that makes sense. Yeah, they put yeah. a literal map in there. Yeah. She's trying to get to the elementary school. Yes. The Midwich Elementary School, yeah. which is named after the town in Village of the Damned. I'll believe I assume. <laughs> I'll believe you. Good movie. But yeah, so she heads to the school. And uh, again, we don't really know why, but she thinks she's going to find her daughter there. So as she's looking for her daughter, she runs into some people who have like a canary in a cage, which I forget what that's supposed to mean from the game, but I, I liked the nod, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. He, well, here the canary basically just warns them that it's going to be changing dimensions oh, again. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Which before we got that giant air horn thing. But yeah, those people were like, they're wearing like, like hat, miners like... masks and stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost like a mix between like miners clothing and like hazmat suits or something. Because they have, like, gas mask things on and goggles and whatnot. Anyways, Rose dodges this group of people, and she finds... Oh, by the way, too, Patrick, I mean, I... There's a lot of religious symbolism in this movie, but, like, even just, like, normal things. Like, as she was running from this group of people into another building, there was a hopscotch, and it said hell, and then, like, went through, like, one to eight, and then ended at heaven. I think that has something to do with one of the games, too. But anyways... So Rose runs from these people and she finds a desk with some handprints on the little girl's handprints, we can assume. In one of these handprints written on the desk, it says witch. Yeah, she stops at that desk and when she stops, she's like, Sharon. And I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah I know. What yeah. was that about? 
So she lifts the desk and she sees stuff from, what was her name? Uh, Alessa Gillespie. And when she looks up, she sees her daughter again. So she runs into this bathroom where her daughter's hiding. Her daughter has disappeared into thin air yet again. And she finds this terrible, horrible, mutilated body strung up. Which, again, this is something I want to point out. Because I had forgotten that they kind of recapped A razor wire, not barbed wire, right? Yeah. I, I forgot that they had kind of like recapped this at the end of the movie where they say that this Jander Colin had molested uh, Alessa. But it's really neat mm-hmm. because in the game, you find him in the exact same way and he crawls on the floor. And I think, and I looked it up, I looked up like this wiki thing for the character and he crawls on the floor on his genitals and he has this long black tongue that licks out. So that's why you had the actor like flicking his tongue the whole time as he's like okay. alive and stuff. And he can also summon those bugs that were in the movie too, which are called creepers. Anyways, Rose is looking at this terrible smelly corpse and the air raid siren goes off again. And we see that when this siren goes off after it ends, the world kind of transitions into this kind of nightmarish ghoulish realm. Yeah, and also she grabs something out of the corpse's mouth. This little moment was really shot and edited very strangely because she's like reaching out with her handcuffed hands. Mm -hmm. And in the foreground of the shot is the wire. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to use the wire to cut through her handcuffs. But that's not the case. Yeah. She just ends up reaching for the mouth and like, we could have shot this from a different angle and it would have been clearer what she was doing. Yeah, and on top of that, I'm not even sure what she grabbed from the mouth. Was it like that hotel room key? It's a hotel key. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So this nightmare realm comes and this body, this corpse comes alive and uh, starts chasing her and flicking its disgusting tongue and summoning these bug things. Rose running away, she runs downstairs and sees these people in these suits that she was just hiding from getting attacked and eaten by these bugs. And I forget how, but she falls out a window. She like goes into this industrial, like fiery kind of area and she sees Sharon slash Alessa. I'm going to call her Alessa because she's like wearing that purple getup and everything. And she's like (laughs) frantically like drawing or maybe writing something. And as she's like looking at her, then she just like falls. And she falls through this window and lands outside on the ground. When we get the coolest shot of the coolest character in the movie, it's Pyramid Head. Yeah, Pyramid Head comes around the corner with this bug-covered body of one of these people and this giant sword thing. Yeah, we, we got to talk a little bit about Pyramid Head's actual appearance because decent chance we have some listeners who, like myself, don't know jack shit about these games and don't know who the hell this guy is. So I'm going to start this off by saying that in the game... From memory, he looked a little different. He was wearing kind of like a tunic or something, but you could still see his ripped arms. He's a very buff, big man with this giant... Yeah, he's like seven feet tall, eight yeah. feet tall, something like that. And he's got this giant metallic helmet on, like this giant steel helmet, but it's kind of shaped in like an isosceles triangle or like an isosceles pyramid. And yeah. uh, that's his name, Pyramid Head. In the movie, he looks even scarier. One, because he's not like crappy... Because he's not made out of, like, crappy polygons. But uh, um, he's got, like, no tunic. He's covered in a bit of blood. He's super Yeah, he's got kind of like a butcher's smock. Yeah. Yeah, he's just massive. He's just scary. And his sword, he, like, drags it along the ground, and it makes this terrible grating. That's the coolest part, is that you can hear him coming. Because, he. I mean, he's strong enough, potentially, to just be carrying that sword thing upright. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's lazy or, you know, (laughs) whatever. He just kind of walks dragging it along. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if he's lazy. He might might be. He he kind of just lets people go. He he could kill so many more people than he does in this movie, anyways kind of just like doesn't care (laughs) uh well rose dodges him and she runs away from him and 
This is when Sybil comes in. Yeah, and I don't remember how Rose ends up on the ground, but it's like she passes out or something like that or gets hit. And just as it looks like Pyramid Head and some bugs are going to come and get her, somebody drags her into this room and locks it or and, and closes the steel door. And it's Sybil. Sybil has defeated this monster, and now she's here saving Rose. And they work together to barricade this door. But then Pyramid Head is outside, and he shoves his giant sword through the door and starts swinging it around. And they're dodging Is that a euphemism? <laughs> uh... <laughs> But uh, yeah, he starts swinging this like giant sword around and they have to dodge it till this nightmare time is over and he kind of disappears again. I would have enjoyed this appearance by Pyramid Head a lot more if he's not just got all these bugs around him. Yeah. Because the bugs I mentioned earlier, they're, they're the worst looking CGI in here. This movie has a lot of CGI, mm-hmm. at least for me. I don't tend to notice improvements in CGI like year to year, but when I go back and see something that's 10 or 15 years old, I'm like, oh my god, we've come a long way. I thought most of the effects here held up just fine, like all the razor wire stuff Mm -hmm. at the end I thought looked pretty good, but I mentioned those, you know, the screaming children or whatever, they kind of look not that good, And, and it just seems like bugs seem to just be a hard thing to do CGI in because they look awful in The Mummy. Granted, that's earlier than this, but they don't look that good here. Yeah, I agree with you, and uh, I totally agree with you on that the bugs and that the gray children are the worst-looking effects in the movie. But the bugs even more so because they have, like, this little weird face, which you see for a Mm -hmm. split second before Sybil crushes it, and you're like, oh, those look ridiculous. Yeah, so after after this nightmare time thing ends, Sybil uncuffs Rose, and they head to this hotel because Rose has this room key. They find another woman still alive in this hotel, and her name's Anna, I think? With Anna's help, they're, they're searching around the hotel and they find room 111, which is on the room key, which has some significance to Sharon or Alessa or whoever. And we learn from Anna that, she, I think she says something like, my elders burned witches to stop the apocalypse, and this was the site of the first burning. But clearly it didn't work out that well. I mean, there's just some stuff, I think, Patrick, I mean, I don't know if you're going to agree with me here, there's some stuff after this that we can just kind of pass over and we can skip to when the siren goes off. Yeah, I mean, just as we've been skipping over all the Sean Bean scenes so far, keep going. (laughs) Yeah, good. But yeah, so eventually the siren goes off again, and it tells them, hey, we should go to this church, because there's a a lot more people and we're all safe in this church. So they start running towards this church. Dahlia stops them on the steps up to this church, uh, and, and she says something like, if you want to know the truth here, do not go into that church. You will only be killed, or, or you will only be stuck here even longer or something. As she's trying to convince Sybil and Rose to stay out, Anna throws a rock, like a piece of concrete step, at Dahlia. <laughs> and then the world turns, and Dahlia like summons Pyramid Head and points it at Anna. And this is one of the best kills in any movie, I think, because it's just so disgusting and scary. And Pyramid Head walks over, picks up Anna... And with one fell swoop, he rips her clothes off. And then you see almost like a close-up of his ginormous giant hand grab her by the chest and twist all of her skin. And then he pulls the whole front of her skin off. And when he like flicks it back, all this like blood and goo comes off it. And then he whips it at the door of the church. It's absolutely disgusting, but it is so neat. (laughs) But it's also so terrifying. Yeah, it's probably the most interesting visual in this movie. I... Generally speaking, I get kind of a Hellraiser, you know, Cenobite kind of vibe from Mm. Pyramid Head. And this seems kind of like something that would have happened in Hellraiser. So that's just kind of what I was thinking about. I actually, I really agree with you. And I remember I was just disgusted for years by it. But anyways, 
in this church, there's this group of like crazy people. I don't even know how to describe them other than crazy people who've been, I don't know, like living in this church and living in the lands around Silent Hill, like scavenging for food for God knows how long. Yeah, this all seemed kind of uninspired, this whole, like, yeah, cult stuff. I don't know. I, I, this, this is where the movie felt really generic to me. Yeah, this is where it kind of went downhill for me. And I know that there was kind of like a cult in the game, but I thought, I think they were called the Order. And Dahlia was like a high priestess, and she could like summon creatures and stuff like that. Which is, I guess, why they show her summoning. I mean, she does summon a creature here. Yeah. Yeah, I but mean, she's I also like rejected by the cult. Exactly, yeah. Or hated or whatever. Yeah. Sybil and Rose team up with this cult only for the fact that Rose wants to find out where her daughter is. So they agree to lead her to this mental hospital. The leader of this cult, oh, I forget her name, but it's something it's something crazy. It's the Borg Queen. Yes. That's her name. Oh, is that is that really her? Yeah. <laughs> the actress. No way, really? Wow. Yeah, so so Borg Queen takes them to this mental hospital, and she says, memorize this map, uh, you'll find all the answers you need in this room in the basement. She then tries to call Sybil and Rose a witch, and she starts to attack Rose, and Sybil throws Rose into an elevator that's going down the basement, and Sybil kind of fights off these baddies. And it looks like she's probably killed, but unluckily for her, we see her later. Rose descends into the basement, which is just kind of like this labyrinth of hallways, and she's running towards this room, where we get another great video game enemy. We get these nurses. They're blind because their faces are all disfigured and they're wrapped and, and their faces are wrapped in like gauze, dirty, gross gauze. Are, are they like made of stone too? Because that's what they look like they are. I don't remember in the game they had something to do with like mannequins or something. I thought it was just because like maybe they would go outside occasionally and they were covered in ash or something. Oh, they were just okay. covered in dust from not moving because nobody had been down there forever. We get a really great scene here, which is also a, a nice nod to the game where Rose walks up towards them with her flashlight on and they all turn in unison with all the like, little knives and scalpels out and stuff like that. And then she quickly realizes that they react to light. So she turns the flashlight off and tries to kind of squeeze past all of them. But one gets alerted <laughs> and there's a great scene of this nurse just slicing throats of other nurses and stabbing other nurses and stuff. But really, at this point of the movie, this is where... I lose all interest in it, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say, you keep saying, like, this is a great scene, and I'm, I'm thinking, other than the Sean Bean stuff, if we if you could cut one scene of the movie, I think it would be this. Like, yeah. it, I feel like it just halts the story. Well, yeah, and I, but I, I feel like, I mean, this is a video game movie, and there is a certain fan base of people who play video games out there that want to see yeah, that. Yeah, losers. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so from here on out, it's essentially uh, an, an information dump about the town and the people in it. We see that Rose walks into this room, and we see, uh, what's her name, Alessa, in a hospital bed. And uh, it turns out that This that is... is the scene in particular where I felt the music was really out of place. I don't remember the score, but I'll believe you. Because <laughs> I think at this point, right. I was just trying to pay attention to the story. Uh, Alessa's in a hospital bed, and it turns out that that is the real Alessa, and she was burned alive by but by that crazy cult. Not not the entirety of the town, because this crazy cult is just one portion of the people from the town. It and, is? Uh, it is, yeah. Because well, the, yeah, I guess, okay. Because the police officer Here's... and the nun. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what makes no sense to me. It's yeah. like, it seems, based on how the story proceeds, based on especially with the Sean Bean scenes sean beans with the police officer who's from that town originally yeah he's played by the coach from goon and um (laughs) (laughs) like while they're doing their thing rose is like wandering around rose gets pulled into this dimension or whatever 
when I think they're still around or I mean we don't see them but like I'm thinking like are a select few people pulled into the dimension it's like I don't need everything explained to me but it just seemed kind of strange to me and that's why I say like this cult thing feels like it's not from like the real world the non-fog dimension or whatever Mm -hmm. it's called or it doesn't seem like they're from there. They seem like they belong in another dimension because they're just like these weird people who look like like kind of Mad Max rejects, if you will. Mad Max mixed with like biblical because they're just like covered in like these like robes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they're all wearing like suits and ties and just covered. In yeah. And smash. I guess come to think of it, I think I think every time there's that transition, it's technically when Sean Bean is not in town. The first transition, for sure, is before Sean Bean shows up, because he shows up, like, the next day when it's raining. And then there's the one scene where he's looking around with the coach from Goon. And then I think the next time you see the world transition, you know, obviously you see it through Rose's eyes. And then the next scene where you see them, they've, they're they outside the town again. So I guess technically, but it, it felt like because there's a disconnect in those two plots, and I'm using the term plot loosely with the Sean Bean stuff, which is mostly just a waste of time. It really does feel like the transition between dimensions is like selective, you know, it's certain people feel it and others don't or something. But that's that I guess that's not the case. In the brief scene with Dahlia, when you first see her, when Rose is when Rose first tries to get out of Silent Hill and she runs into Dahlia and they have the, the exchange with the locket. I had to turn the volume up really high to hear it, but Dahlia says that only... She doesn't use the word chosen one, but I'm going to use it, I guess, for this example. But she says something along the lines of only the chosen one can cross the boundary because Rose crossed the border between worlds with Alessa. Then, then the police officer was essentially in tow right behind them. Oh, Wait, so that makes it seem like there's like three different dimensions then. There's normal Sean Bean dimension. Yeah. There's Silent Hill when it's just snowing ash, but otherwise normal. Yep. And then there's Silent Hill when the horn sounds and the monsters come out to play. Yeah, now you know, there's I Monster Mash Silent Hill. There's it's the monster snowing man. ash Silent Hill and then the Sean Bean Silent Hill. Yeah. It's well, just, it's confusing. Okay. It, it, it is, yeah. And I mean, I think... The best way, I don't remember how it changed, Well, I guess it, but... I guess it makes sense because it's hard to imagine in the real Sean Bean dimension that there, that the road just stops because there's a giant Grand Canyon-like gap. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess that's fair. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't remember how or why it changes into that nightmare-fueled one, but it has something to do with Alessa. So she's created this whole kind of alternate dimension because she's this uber powerful witch person with supernatural powers yeah the monsters come from her imagination right yeah i mean definitely the the weirdo in the bathroom did yeah and i mean pyramid head came from a a male protagonist's imagination from from the second silent hill game right in the Uh, game but in the movie he's sort of disconnected from what's actually going on but that's fine because he looks cool (laughs) yeah so we get this information dump where we learn that these three worlds were created by alessa and we don't really know why, but we do know that she was tortured and tormented by various people in Silent Hill. And whether that be school children, because she's actually a bastard, to put it politely, I guess. Uh, she, she has no... Well, actually, I guess putting it politely would be saying she has no father. But she's a bastard. She was bullied by kids at school. And I think there's already animosity to her or t- towards her from people in the town. I mean, um, look, she was bullied, but the bullying came to the extent of they called her Alyssa instead of Alessa. <laughs> Damn. What kind of stupid name is that? I know, I know. 
But uh, yeah, and and then she was molested in a in a in her school bathroom by a janitor, which forced uh, uh, what's her name? Which forced damn what's her name again? Uh, Borg, Borg Queen. Queen. There we go. Yeah, which forced Borg <laughs> Queen to uh, to burn her alive <laughs> to cleanse the town of sin. Right. I'm not sure I follow the logic there, but creepy movie cult, you know, they're not the most logical. So we then learned that the burning didn't work and somehow she, with her powers, with some sort of supernatural powers, she broke the chains that were holding her over this fire pit and she knocked over the fire pit and started the fire, which then ignited the mines and stuff like that. She was brought to this to the basement of this mental hospital to recover from her burns, but she started hating people and hating everybody really and she created this evil version of herself but to do that she also created this nice innocent version of herself which is sharon which is rose and christopher's daughter and the evil version of alessa brought the nice version of alessa into the real world somehow and left her at an orphanage for rose and christopher to pick up and and adopt uh it's it's all confusing i guess (laughs) yeah so you explained that better than i could (laughs) have i'm trying man i'm trying with this information, Rose has the idea that she's going to go back and dethrone the Borg Queen from the head of her cult and kind of put an end to this whole nightmare. And she also wants to find her daughter, too. But to do that, she has to release Evil Alessa into the church. And Evil Alessa goes, leans in for a hug with Rose and she absorbs herself, I guess, or she pushes herself into Rose's body. So now Rose has, like, this Evil Alessa spirit in her. So she goes to the church... And gets beaten up a bit. Oh no! Before that, unfortunately, unfortunately, Sybil gets yeah, burned Sybil's alive. Yeah, burned alive. Which is, I really didn't like that scene. The make, like the, the effects were great though. Like even on that, they were great. Yeah, those are some of the. That's some of the better age CGI, I would say. Anything to do with like that, that whole bloody pyramid kill and uh, or <laughs> bloody pyramid head kill and uh, the death of Sybil were some pretty solid CGI. Rose shows up just before they're going to burn Nice Alessa, a.k.a. Sharon, a.k.a. Cheryl, I guess. I want to say a.k.a. Heather as well. I think that has something to do with it. I don't remember who Heather is in the game, but anyways, Rose tells the whole townspeople that they're just killing people and they're not actually making anything better. They're, they're just trapped here as well because they're actually already dead and they've been damned. This is their eternal hell. Borg Queen stabs Rose and there's this great scene where her blood just kind of starts bubbling out of her chest and landing on this seal on the church floor and then the whole thing breaks away to reveal this fiery pit where bedridden hospital burned alive alessa comes out of and evil dark alessa crawls out of like like the grudge girl and this is again great i think it's gory to the extreme and 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 i loved every second of it this barbed wire i guess or razor wire starts coming out of this hole and coming out of the bed the the hospital bed that it Alessa's in and starts wrapping itself around Borg Queen and also grabbing other people and honestly the most one of the most disgusting things in this movie is that this razor wire has been wrapped around Borg Queen and her legs then they pull her legs open and put a bunch of razor wire up her cooter and then out her body in different directions and she yeah this was evil dead mixed with Hellraiser it's like someone threw those two in a blender yeah but it, it's glorious, it's exciting, and it's disgusting. And then her body, it gets ripped in half. And as all of this chaos is going on around them, Rose reunites with Sharon, and she's holding her tight, and she says, just go to bed, just close your eyes, it'll all be over, just close your eyes. And Sharon opens her eyes, and evil Alessa... We are to kind of assume that evil Alessa jumps into the body of nice Sharon, nice Alessa. Which, is that good? 
Is that bad? Is that like something that needs to happen? I, I don't no understand. I think it's bad. Here. I think it's bad. I guess. Because... I mean, I would assume so. Evil person, but I'm in. Uh, like, also, she's just good too. So she's not like a real person. Yeah, I have. No, I have no clue. This is what I mean when I say I hate this like manifestation stuff when it's <laughs> when it's this literal. By the end of this movie, I was just scratching my head because in the next scene it ends. They are able to drive out of Silent Hill and drive home, but as it turns out. They're out of the town of Silent Hill, but they haven't left this foggy realm because they get home and it's still foggy and gross and kind of ashy. But Sean Bean is laying in his couch on his couch at home and then he hears the door open and he goes down to look outside, but nobody's there. Meanwhile, in other reality, in other realm, Rose is sitting on the chair across from the couch and then the movie ends. So what were your overall thoughts of, of Silent Hill? Well, obviously, my first thought was lose Sean Bean. (laughs) really added nothing it was just exposition as to how the town became abandoned which ultimately isn't important with the cult stuff and with Mm. the supernatural plot going on so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that that cop was originally from there none of that stuff's important (laughs) yeah (laughs) my second my second thought was it's very funny to hear Sean Bean try an American accent. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and it's even funnier when he goes to, like, an auto body shop and he's talking to this West Virginian that has, like, the thickest Canadian accent I've ever heard. It sounds like he's talking to Doug McKenzie. I know, right? <laughs> it was, like... That was just very funny to me. I mean, it's like this English guy from Ohio and this Canadian guy, <laughs> this northern Ontario guy from West Virginia. And I'm just like, what's going on here? And the, and the best part about Sean Bean, too, is because he's from Yorkshire, he's got that really thick accent. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Just coming through. <laughs> but it, also, my third thought to focus on Sean Bean once again was, you know, assuming we actually need this character, which we agree we don't. <laughs> definitely not why cast an actor who's best at playing like tough guys for a role where he essentially just walks around and talks to people yeah you know like get the guy from modern family or something for that like you don't need him yeah i mean it would have been nice if they had had an alternate version of this movie where sean bean was the lead i would have liked to see that maybe but then i also think i don't know if it would have been as scary i feel like it being a, a, a woman looking for her daughter like a mother looking for her daughter has some kind of urgency to it meanwhile a, a, a rough and tough and tumble looking guy looking for his daughter trying to hide a yorkshire accent isn't as scary somehow i don't know this is kind of sexist isn't it you know women are <laughs> in sexist. peril because they're weak is that uh, what you're saying all right well anyways <laughs> well and also again sorry not letting you off the hook easy here sean bean every single time they cut to sean bean it completely ruined whatever atmosphere the movie was building so it's not just like a you know we don't need this this is unnecessary exposition it's distracting from the not even the story it's distracting from just the atmosphere because this movie's not trying to be action-packed or anything like that it's trying to build a mood and it's doing an okay job of it but then it gets interrupted with sean bean and it kills that i i think actually the best example of that is when rose is being chased by pyramid head and it keeps cutting to sean bean and policeman driving around silent hill and then going into the school and there's a bit where Rose comes into the school and she's leaning on the lockers because she's just escaped Pyramid Head the first time. And then it cuts to Sean Bean running through the same hallway yelling Rose. And I'm like, I know he's not going to find her. Why is this even here? And I think also 
I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in this movie. There's some very good visuals, and I don't know how much of that is credited to the film versus the games, but, I mean, the filmmakers deserve some credit because, at the very least, they're recreating what's in the games because Mm -hmm. it all looks pretty good, except for some of the questionable CGI stuff we've mentioned. But at the end of the day, I don't think this story is that interesting. Woman looking for daughter for... This is a two-hour movie, two-plus hours, which is a little long for a movie like this. But also then the daughter is not actually a real person. She's just like a good embodiment. of. Then then it's just like, okay, you lost me. I don't know. I didn't hate this movie. Coming into it, I, I had heard mixed things. I heard mostly bad things. Although a lot of people would say that this is one of the better video game adaptations out there on yeah, film. I, I, of course, video game adaptations sure. are notoriously bad. Yeah. I mean, of the video game movies I've seen, yeah, this probably is one of the better ones. I haven't seen that many. You know, they never made a movie out of NBA Jam Tournament Edition, unfortunately. (laughs) This movie's a whole lot of okay. I agree. I think it's good at being a video game movie and paying fan service, but I think it had difficulties reaching a wider audience because it is so deep. Like It's like neck deep in the Silent Hill franchise slash universe slash lore. Like, I think you needed to have played one game at least to kind of understand what was going on. And you needed to have to play the first game. Meanwhile, a, a movie like Laura Croft, it's a great video game adaptation, but it's not a great video game movie because they took that Laura Croft stuff and adapted it and gave it to the wider audience. They said, look, this is a movie based on a game, but not really. There's really nothing from the game in the movie other than an English woman and dual pistols and history. That's it. You know, if they had and like push-up based... bras, <laughs> exactly, yeah, and dive suits. If they tried to make a movie on any of the Lara Croft games, I'm sure it would have turned out in a similar way to Silent Hill. And I think Silent Hill probably missed an opportunity to go like a full horror movie. You know, just be kind of loosely based on Silent Hill with characters and and monsters. Yeah, that's something that I will say is I'm not intrigued by the actual story here, but I'm intrigued by the world this creates to the point where I could see myself maybe enjoying one of the video games in this series, or I would like to see just something else kind of using some of these ideas, some other film, and based on Silent Hill Revelation's reputation, that's not the place to go. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll also say I don't think it's a very good drive-in movie. No, you know what I, I mean? think it's, it's, it's a little too long, and I think it's a little too heavy and, and deep, maybe. I don't think it's as heavy or deep as it's trying to be. I think it's a little pretentious in that sense, because I don't know how, how I can explain this in this, you know, making this a very long episode, and we already did Frankenstein and Audition, so... But I don't think... I don't know, because really you have a very... I don't want to say it's a simple story, but if you strip away a lot of the decorations you do have a simple story it's woman looking for daughter in another dimension yeah you know that's you know the little girl lost it's poltergeist it's it's the things it's like almost that like stranger things season two all of season two i don't know if it's that disappointing <laughs> oh, got him or season one no damn it i meant season one is that it <laughs> okay yeah You could have a very simple story here, and I think they knew that, and that's why there's all these other details, but a lot of the other details, and I'm thinking less even the good and bad manifestations of Alessa, because that stuff's like, whatever, but I'm thinking more like the cult. The cult is kind of out of left field. I know there is a cult in the games, but for for the movie that introduced 
pyramid head and those creepy nurses and uh those armless dudes do you really think the ultimate antagonist of this movie should just be normal people yeah i think it's a little boring that's why i'm saying i think it could have been a great strictly horror movie with those creatures and monsters and and within the universe somehow i guess the only, and I want to go back to what I said earlier about it being heavy and deep, because I agree with you. It's trying really hard, I think, to be deep and, guess, like, emotionally deep as well. But by heavy and deep, I should have clarified. I meant it's because of this video game and these ties to religion that it feels heavy and deep. Like, there's so much lore, and they want you to feel so—they want you to get so much more weight out of everything, you know? And there's really just nothing mm-hmm. there. It all just kind of is non-existent for me anyways. Even though I do like the games. Yeah, I mean, this is my personal opinion. Don't know if you'll agree with this. But if you want a solid horror movie with ties to religion, then our second movie's the movie for you. (laughs) But... (laughs) Okay, well, you know, we can talk about it. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, I guess my overall thought was this isn't really a drive-in movie. It didn't have that kind of feel to it. You have, you know, the moment where Pyramid Head rips off the woman's skin. Like that, okay, that's cool. You have a couple little scenes. <laughs> also, one thing in this, even though I said I really like the look of this movie overall, I think that's mostly true because I like the effect when like everything kind of turns to ash and everything. And I love the exterior stuff. Mm-hmm. The interior stuff when we're in the foggy industrial metal fire dimension. I just did not like that aesthetic. And it's it, it reminded me of like, I think this was just big in the mid 2000s. And I'm thinking even in the bathroom scene, which is which she goes in before we're in that dimension. But just, it, like, gross, grimy, dirty. I mean, this, it looked like a Saw movie. And then yeah. we find this body covered in wires, and it looks like a Saw movie. And I'm not saying this movie's ripping off Saw, because it probably comes from the games, and the games predate Saw. I'm just saying I'm not that big on that aesthetic. I just, like, it's just, it's intentionally unappealing to look at. I get that, but it's also <laughs> unappealing to look at. It makes you feel dirty. You know, it makes you feel like you want to not watch that movie or that scene <laughs> also i i'm i would also say that i don't think the movie's fully committed to that kind of thing that i noticed and this m- might be a nitpick but we've made plenty of them already so i might as well keep going was that first scene when she goes down those stairs and she ends up in you know all these fences and stuff she has to use her zippo lighter to navigate which first <laughs> of all this just looking at her this is not a woman who would have a zippo lighter on her but whatever <laughs> uh, <laughs> But she's like, there's a couple moments like early on in that scene where you can't see anything except for what's illuminated by that light. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And then when those children things come at her, then she drops the lighter. But then it's just like really well lit all of a sudden. And I'm like, what? No, we had we had some atmosphere here. What are we doing? Yeah. All right, Jim, let's follow that up with Silent Night, Deadly Night. One of my favorite Christmas horror movies. I I feel like I could say that about almost every Christmas horror movie, though, because (laughs) there aren't that many good ones. And this one arguably isn't that good. But Silent Night, Deadly Night, one of the most controversial films ever made. Uh, Jim, initial thoughts? I was bored about halfway through. From halfway through to the end, I was bored. Oh, I thought it was going to go the other way around. I thought until halfway through, you were bored. No. <laughs> okay, this this is surprising to me. Yeah, you know, to be honest, it was surprising to me too. But uh, yeah, I, I was I was bored after um, Billy donned the Santa suit. From from that point on, I was a little bored. Actually, from right. from the time he left the department store, I was a little. Bored. Okay, well, the department store is amazing that stuff. But anyways. So this movie, when it came out, this was incredibly controversial. And I think a lot of people 
a lot of people will talk about this, but they'll kind of forget a specific aspect about the controversy. Because people will joke about like, oh, you know, why did this get pulled from theaters? It's a movie about someone killing people in a Santa suit. Like that already happened. Christmas Evil came out in 1980, <laughs> which is true. But I think the problem here that I think a lot of people forget was the, the controversy wasn't about the movie itself. It was about when the ads were run on television, normally for like R-rated movies and like horror movies, stuff like that. You won't show those TV spots on certain channels at certain times in the day because, you know, you're showing Barney on at that time of day or Sesame Street or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, whoever the producers, distributors of this movie were just like, fuck that. Let's show these TV spots during Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. <laughs> so a lot of kids like saw these ads and, and were like scared and then moms got really upset and... <laughs> they were like, I don't know if there were protests, but this movie was flat out banned in a few cities, uh, Milwaukee among them, and everywhere else, in places where it wasn't banned, it was pulled like after one week because I guess the studio was just like, you know, the controversy isn't worth it. Wow, really? I, I, I had no clue. I thought the controversy would have been around religion or nuns, like it would have been nun-centric. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because there's a lot of nun stuff in here that we can talk about. But I, I would like to just point out that we'll we'll talk about this later. But this, th- these, this is the worst depiction of nuns. Not necessarily that they're the most evil. There is a pretty nasty nun in here too. But these are nuns who run an orphanage around Christmas time, and they don't talk about Jesus once. It's always about <laughs> Santa. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what, what kind of nun is this? <laughs> This movie is trying to be critical of religion in some way, you know, the religious, you know, strict religious upbringing, but it's also, it feels like it's written by someone who doesn't actually have any experience in that, and they're just kind of imagining it. Yeah, I mean, look, when did the Blues Brothers come out? Because... 1980, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like whoever wrote the script watched the Blues Brothers before, and they were like, you know what, that is really (laughs) becoming for a nun. Yeah, I mean, because the Blues Brothers, the whole, like, nuns with the rulers and stuff, (laughs) there was enough truth to that. Yeah. And there is enough truth historically to nuns running orphanages and in charge of adoptions, like, doing some really shady stuff. Yeah. Like, there's room for criticism here, but the criticism (laughs) gets very specific and very strange. (laughs) But but we will will (laughs) delve into that. The movie opens with a nice little Christmas song. It's Santa's Watching, I think. Give That's me a, a terrifying song. Yeah, the song is Santa's Watching. It's by Morgan Ames, who doesn't do the score here, but I guess he does all the original composed songs, which we get a few more of, including in the best scene of the movie. <laughs> but anyways, it opens on Billy and Ricky Chapman. Billy being about like four, five, maybe. I'm awful at judging ages of children. I think he's about and then six Ricky... or something. Yeah, whatever. And then Ricky being a little baby. They're on their way with their parents to their grandfather, who's in a mental hospital. <laughs> and I like this scene a lot. The grandfather doesn't say anything. He's catatonic, right? He's played by <laughs> old man Peabody from Back to the Future, the guy whose farm <laughs> yeah. Marty McFly crashes into. He doesn't say anything until it's just him and Billy alone. And then he gives a really genuinely terrifying speech where it's like really creepy. The delivery is, is actually very scary. And it's incredibly stupid what he's talking about. It's, <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, Santa only brings presents to people that haven't done anything naughty for the year. And it's like, okay, why is this a creepy speech? And then he's like, and everybody else he punishes. And then it's like, holy shit. Oh my God. <laughs> and so, so the kid is rightfully freaked out. 
you know, when the parents come back in to get Billy, you know, grandfather goes back to catatonic. So it's like classic Toy Story, like, oh, adults in the room, gotta, <laughs> gotta freeze up and stop acting. Also, I want to say the best line in that scene is that when the grandfather says, if you see Santa tonight, you'd better run for your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, oh, my God. Which is very appropriate because the first person in a Santa suit we see is robbing a convenience store at gunpoint and he ends up shooting the clerk three times, killing him. Mm-hmm. And he only comes out of it with like 31 bucks or something like that. But the next time we see him, it's when at night, Billy's parents pull over to help a man in a Santa suit who's waving them down and seems to have car trouble. Then he pulls out a gun, shoots Billy's dad. Billy gets out and runs like his grandfather told him to. You know, Ricky is crying in the back seat. And then the Santa suit guy takes out Billy's mother. Unfortunately, he rips open her shirt, which is a lot of nudity in this movie. It's never comfortable in a scene like this. <laughs> no. no. Uh, we get two almost rape scenes in this movie, and uh, I hate that stuff. Especially because, honestly, like a lot of filmmakers, especially for low-budget movies, this is, you know, a small slasher movie. It was made for under a million dollars. A lot of hack filmmakers will shove rape scenes into a movie because it's an easy way to get boobs in the movie, right? Yeah. Well, even without the rape scenes, we get boobs. Yeah, <laughs> we don't yeah. need these. Yeah, you could also just write a scene where somebody doesn't try to rape somebody and maybe have somebody go to a strip club or something, you know? Or That's true. I mean, I yeah, I don't know. But anyways, I'm always uncomfortable with a scene like this. But it is also pretty scary and disturbing. And, and yeah. the Santa dude ends up slitting her throat. And then he's looking for Billy, who is just hiding. He's, like, near the road, but he's hiding, like, behind bushes. And, he, and the guy's like, where are you, little bastard? But then the scene just kind of ends. I guess he gave up. And we skip ahead to 1974. Billy is, I guess, eight years old. So this is maybe three or four years later, something like that. He's played by a different actor here. Guy with an unfortunate mullet. <laughs> and he's at an orphanage, as is his as is his younger brother. Billy is asked to display his artwork in class, like everyone else has done. But a classmate of his screams in horror as she sees the drawing that he's putting up because it's of a murdered Santa Claus and his decapitated reindeer, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> which is <That's>... great. <laughs> I just thought about like, being the art person on set. Like, do you think like the director drew that, or do you think they got the oh, kid so, to draw? I don't it? know. Yeah, who knows? You know? <laughs> So Billy gets a talking to from Mother Superior, who is the real nasty one here. Sister Margaret is the supportive one who says to Mother Superior after Billy has left, listen, this is what I've been saying. He clearly remembers what happened to his parents, which, like, of course he does. It was like three years ago, maybe four years <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah. Of course he remembers that. So Sister Margaret lets Billy leave his room and, and tells him to go outside. But Billy stops and peeps through a door to see two teenagers, well, the teenagers in quotes, of course, having sex. They're the only people of that age that we see at this orphanage. Everyone else is like 10 or younger. Anyways, he sees them and then he kind of in his mind has flashbacks to his mother because when he sees the breasts, he thinks of his mother's shirt being ripped open and he starts freaking out. But then Mother Superior pushes him out of the way, comes into the room and starts whipping the teens (laughs) with her belt. Later on, Billy gets the same treatment. I hope it's a different belt because those people are naked, but we don't know. So Billy continues to suffer from nightmares about his parents' death, which, of course. And so he tries to, like, escape the orphanage, but Sister Margaret stops him and ends up tying him to the bed, which is, you know, going a little too far. And then 
when the orphanage is having a person in a Santa suit come to have children sit on his lap and, you know, what, what do you want for Christmas, all that stuff, Sister Margaret makes him go up, which <laughs> this is incredibly dumb. And, of course, he freaks out, and he tries to run away, and when the Santa guy grabs him, he swings and punches Santa in the face. Great moment. Yeah, gives him a bloody nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, obviously, like, and through all of this, Mother Superior just doesn't get it. And you hate her, and you're supposed to hate her, so that's good. But she is very, very dumb. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of dumb characters in this movie, as is kind of a tradition with not necessarily horror movies, but especially lower-budgeted cash-grab slasher movies. There's a lot of dumb people. So we skip to 10 years later, and Sister Margaret gets Billy a job at a toy store working for Mr. Sims. Mr. Sims is my favorite character. I love this guy. He's played by Britt Leach, who's just like classic character actor. Like, sure, I'll appear in whatever. You know, he's in Weird Science. He's in the series Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. He's in everything. Such like an amicable personality in this movie. Like, you really like this guy. And he also has some quality drunk acting we see later. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's great. Billy's first day on the job, or first week, however long, is presented in a montage. And this is my favorite scene of the movie by far. Partially because it's completely out of place and it's just weird. (laughs) But, you know, the 1980s was, was the decade of montages in film, right? This is up there with my favorite. In part because there's an awesome song playing. It's by the same guy that did the Christmas song. And he sounds like Joe Cocker. Which, that's probably just his voice, but it's also around this time Joe Cocker was doing a lot of songs for movies, so it, so it kind of sounds like you've got like, like oh, we got a Joe Cocker impersonator. <laughs> that way we can sound like an officer and a gentleman. And this, this song is, it's really bright, it's really happy, it's called The Warm Side of the Door, and I love this scene. It's so, like... If you didn't know the name of the movie, if you're flipping through channels on television and you just come across this... You could have a thousand guesses and you would not end up thinking this is a horror movie, you know? <laughs> no, it's so nice and wholesome and Yeah, it's so wholesome. Calming. It's 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 yeah, it feels like like an eighties like family values like sitcom. Like it, it feels like the opening <laughs> this is to, great. Like, to like an and, 80, and, to, to an 80s sitcom. And what he's yeah. doing and it's not just the song, it's what he's doing during the montage is very wholesome. He mm-hmm. turns down liquor because he's drinking milk instead, you know, he's helping kids reach toys on a higher aisle and or on a higher shelf. He's just like doing he's just being like your model citizen. It's great. Yeah, he's doing all the work in the in the storeroom for the guy who's doing literally none of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that guy, uh, guy. what's his Yeah, that guy's Andy. That who's like First of all, this this is like a kind of a small, seems like a family-owned toy store. But our employees, we've got Mr. Sims, who I take it as the owner. We've got Andy, who seems to be the warehouse manager. Rapist number yes, two. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll get to that. We've got Pamela, who's just, she works like in the aisles or something. And yeah. Then we've got Mrs. Something, who I don't know what she does. Oh, she's but, probably your cashier. I like her as much as, almost as much as Mr. Sims. I think she's oh, good. yeah, she's good, but Mr. Sims is my favorite. I like Pamela, too, but mm-hmm. everyone but Andy is good here. <laughs> so, as the montage ends, Billy sees that they've got Christmas decorations out and that the store is going to be having an in-house Santa Claus actor. So he <laughs> starts to, you know, worry, obviously. And this changes his behavior to the point where Pamela is asking him, like, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? 
and Andy's confrontational. He's like, you got a fucking attitude problem, man. <laughs> and uh, and then kind of the weirdest scene of the movie, which seems like just like another like, hey, let's have more sex in this. We don't realize it's a dream at first, but Billy has a dream where he's having sex with Pamela, who is a very attractive woman, to be fair. Oh, that's right. But I forgot the, about that. But this ends because Santa stabs him. And it's just like, what is this scene? This is just, this is another way to get boobs in there, I think. Yeah. One day, the Santa Claus actor calls in sick, so they need someone to fill in for Santa, and they have Billy do it. And Billy is too dumb or too paralyzed by his fears and his nightmares and all that stuff to say no. So they suit him up. He looks pissed off, but they're, <laughs> but they're all just like, oh, he looks great. He's, he's going to be perfect. <laughs> when we see him as Santa... I love this scene as well. He's got a little girl on his lap, and <laughs> yes, she's, right. like, kind of squirrely. And so he threatens her. He he gives her the same talk that his grandfather gave him. He's like, don't you know I, you know, I punish naughty children, and you're being naughty right now. And then they cut back to the uh, parents, like the this, this little girl's mother, and she's just like, oh, you know, he really does have a way with kids or something. And I'm like, can they not hear him? He's not, he's not really whispering. They're like five feet away. You know? Yeah. Oh, he's so good with kids. I love that. I love that. Yeah, he's, he's threatening a child in front, of this, in front of the girl's mother. And this is Christmas Eve, by the way. I didn't point that out. But we come to the end of the working day. And Mr. Sims gets excited because it's, quote, time to get shit-faced. And so they have a little workplace party where Mr. Sims gets drunk real fast. And this is, I, I enjoy this drunk acting. It's not actually good drunk acting, but it's far from the worst I've seen because I've seen season two of Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> but but he um, he's talking to Billy and Billy's like, oh, I'm just thinking about my parents. And he's like, oh, yeah, you should think about family at christmas and then he's like they're dead and he's like oh i forgot and so that's, that's when you find out that he knew yeah but still had him dress up as santa claus so maybe he didn't know how the parents died i guess to be well, fair m- my question for this whole thing is what was your name sister margaret she knew that billy could not stand santa and he really gets agitated around christmas so she's like hey you know i'm gonna get you a job at a toy store the toy store was not a great idea a bit of an oversight uh, yeah, yeah, get him working work. at a at a synagogue or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I forgot to mention that she calls that day and ends up speaking to Andy on the phone and is like, I want to speak to Billy. And he's like, oh, he doesn't work back here anymore. He's working at Santa Claus. And so she's really concerned. Yeah. And apparently she lives like a state over because she doesn't <laughs> arrive there until later. Yeah, until like four hours later. <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, during this workplace party, Andy and Pamela go out back, and they're about to have sex, but then it turns to rape, because Andy has to make it weird. And it's another unfortunate scene, but then it gets pretty cool, because Billy, having these nightmare flashbacks again, thinking of his mother, thinking of his father, breaks in. He's still wearing the Santa suit, of course, because obviously that's the selling point of the movie. He, He strangles Andy with Christmas lights, lifting him off the ground, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. and then pamela says like you're crazy man and then so he kills her too <laughs> yeah <laughs> with a box cutter yeah and this this is the moment right before pamela was killed this moment here when you kill andy you've got two or three ways in which you know because we've got serial killer in the making here he could go one of two or three ways he could go and be like a death wish like a, i'm going to kill criminals i'm going to kill rapists yeah. Stuff like that. 
He could go, I'm going to kill everyone because I've just completely lost it. Or he could go, like, kill only people who have wronged him because he certainly has a crush on Pamela. And so, like, Andy trying to rape her in his mind is, like, wronging him, maybe even more so than wronging Pamela. So the movie has these three options, and somehow it chooses all three? Well, you know I was going to say, it, it chooses a fourth option, which is <laughs> pretend you're actually Santa and you're a very religious one at that. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't actually think he's actually Santa. He occupies all three because he does snap, because he goes and kills everybody else, spoilers, everybody else in the toy store. But he also kills people because he thinks they're being naughty, i.e. being the death wish type killer. But then he also aims his ire at Mother Superior, which makes sense. So somehow he, there's, you've got three options in the movie. <laughs> chooses all three. It's very strange. Well, I just want to say quickly that all the people he kills except for maybe one or two, he deemed as naughty because they were having sex. Yeah, so his big thing, he's got two catchphrases. He's got punish and he's got naughty <laughs> when he's coming at people. So anyways, Mr. Sims goes to investigate because he heard something and he gets killed off screen with a hammer, which is really neat. We see blood splash against boxes and later on we see his body. And then Mrs. Randall when she figures out what's going on, she tries to get out of the store, but she's locked in. And Billy shoots her with an arrow. <laughs> my favorite my favorite fucking part about this scene, Patrick, is that it's a yeah. kid's toy store, and he pulls out an actual bow and arrow. Well, they did have jarts back then, so <laughs> actual bow and arrow isn't that unbelievable. <laughs> uh, okay, true, true. Bow and arrow, yeah. He gets her, goes completely through her stomach, great stuff. So he leaves, and shortly after he leaves, Sister Margaret shows up and finds the bodies and screams. The next scene, we get two really, really random Billy's just going to kill these people scenes now. And this is the first one, and this is probably the most famous scene of the movie because... In part because it's Linnea Quigley, her first appearance on this podcast. He's, she's probably in more movies on our list of movies than any other actor, except for yep. maybe like Boris Karloff or Vincent Price. But that's because, if you don't know, and I do not judge anyone who doesn't, because <laughs> most of the movies she made were worse than this. <laughs> you know, she she was like the queen of like schlock horror movies, especially in the 80s, a little bit in the 90s too. And if she appears in a movie, you're almost guaranteed nudity, which we get a lot of it with her. She's basically the entire scene. She's shirtless here. Yeah. But anyways, she's she's great, as always. This is one of her most memorable roles. This is probably her most memorable death scene, because I would also wager a guess that, I'll put it this way, very few actors have been killed in movies more often than her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this is one of the more memorable ones. So she's at just a house. We don't know if she's the babysitter or if she's the older sister, but she's having sex with her boyfriend. And she's got a little sister or kid she's babysitting who wakes up and goes to say something. And she's like, no, go back to bed. Santa won't come if you're not here. And the boyfriend's like, hey, he's not the only one. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Solid joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, then she realizes that she has to let the cat in. So she goes upstairs. Obviously, she's topless. She goes to the door, she opens the door, and is looking for the cat. And then Billy just <laughs> Billy just comes in, and he's like, punish. And it's just like, why is Billy here? What's he doing here? Yeah, and you know, and <laughs> Does he know this person? No, of course he doesn't. To be honest, that whole scene like where she was looking to let the cat in, I thought that it was actually Billy the whole time making those noises because he has the bells on his cuffs. Oh, probably, yeah. 
but and it doesn't like, oh, matter. I heard the cat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, matter. she she went to the front door not to look for the cat. She went to the front door because she's Linnea Quigley, and that's what you do in movies <laughs> like this where you don't have a shirt on. So Billy busts in, and he picks her up and kills her by impaling her against mounted deer antlers. Yeah, great. So that the Absolutely antlers great. go through her chest right below her breasts. It is incredible. It is one of two mounted deer antler deaths I can think of in horror movies, the other one being Get Out, which, you know, this is a better oh. movie than Get Out. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's incredibly creative. It's incredibly stupid. This thing in the 80s, you didn't necessarily have to make a good movie. You needed to make a movie that has like something really memorable in it. And this yeah. is that for me. This is that severed head going down on a woman from a reanimator scene for this <laughs> movie, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely that 15, 20 second shot might be my favorite part of the movie. All right, you pervert. <laughs> Got me. Lots of penetration in that scene, you know what I mean? So, so anyways, her boyfriend comes up looking for her and sees her on the deer and screams and then gets in a fight with Billy. He fights him off with like a fire poker and he goes to call 911, but then Billy picks him up and throws him out the window because for some reason, Billy's super strong. We've never yeah. established that. I mean, the actor who plays 18-year-old Billy is jacked. You can tell yeah. that like the first time you see him. So I don't know what gym equipment they have at that orphanage, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, he throws him out the window. We see later that he's got a giant shard of glass like sticking through his like ribs, which is pretty gruesome. And his head. like There's a big shard of glass that's yeah. almost like splitting his head. I thought that was great, too. Some of the dead bodies in this movie look... They're almost as cool as the kills as that oh yeah like with mr sims especially because mr sims is killed off screen yeah but his body with the hammer claw sticking out of his head is great anyway so billy goes upstairs to talk to the little girl she's like oh, okay what what presents did you bring me and he first wants to make sure that she's been good all year and that she hasn't done anything naughty once she assures him that she has he gives her the bloody box cutter that he used to kill Pamela. <laughs> this scene's great. I love, so I love the girl's reaction, too, because she's, like, looking at it. She's got, like, this weird look on her face, like, what? What's this? I want to talk about Robert Brian Wilson, member of the Beach Boys and star of this film. The <laughs> eight, He plays 18-year-old Billy here. He's not a very good actor. This is his first movie role. And he's also... I've talked to you about this, but I've never brought it up on the podcast yet. There's different stages of fame with actors. <laughs> You've got the bare minimum is have an IMDb page, which that's everybody who's been in like anything has an IMDb, yeah. IMDb page. Second stage of fame is have a Wikipedia page. The third stage of fame is have a Wikipedia page with a picture on it. Yeah. You know, and that's like your George Clooney's, your Brad Pitt's, but I mean, even people a lot less famous than that. Robert Brian Wilson is that first level of fame. He does not have a Wikipedia page. It's disappointing. Really? I don't know what he's done other than this, because I haven't really looked at his IMDb page. But again, I don't think he's very good here. But his facial intensity is pretty good. I'll give him that. And I think he's good in this scene. He is pretty friggin' scary when he's talking to this little girl. Even though he doesn't end up doing anything to her, but give her a weapon <laughs> that he used to kill someone like he doesn't kill her or attack her or anything but he's just like really scary and she has no idea what he's doing but you know she thinks he's santa the entire time but oh man this is great yeah it's, this it's, is this is the best robert scene. brian wilson acting in this movie which <laughs> isn't saying that much but 
So, cops are on the lookout for someone dressed in a Santa suit. There's a comedic scene where cops barge into someone's home because they see a Santa climbing through a window, and then they find out that it's just the little girl's dad, and he was just doing, like, a Christmas thing. I have to say, Um, I really enjoyed this scene because that actually happened to somebody I know. They were arrested by, or they were (laughs) almost arrested by police officers because it looked like they were breaking into their own house. (laughs) Oh my god, I did not know this was a real thing. This seems like just a movie thing to me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, anyways, Sister Margaret teams up with a cop at some point. She's still, like, she's worried about him, but she she doesn't, like, want him, like, killed or anything. She's just, even though she knows he's killed people at this point, she's just thinking, like, oh, God, we just need to get him. We need to help him. Maybe I can do something. Billy, then, in a scene that's maybe even more random than the Linnea Quigley scene, we just cut to these sledders. There's, like, I think there's, like, four of them. There's really two main ones. There's two of them, and and they get bullied out by these two bullies who take their sleds. He goes sledding down the hill. (laughs) <laughs> and he gets decapitated with the axe. Yeah. And I must say, missed opportunity. You know, there is a guy with a Red Sox hat, and that's not the one who's decapitated, so that's disappointing. <laughs> but this scene's a lot of fun. It's completely random. It's incredibly stupid, but it's wonderful. It's glorious in a way. Yeah, no, I, I actually really like the scene. I thought it, honestly, I think What are you talking scene... about? This is when you were bored. Well, no, this scene. This is more than halfway through the movie. Now, hold your horses there, sir. This scene, I thought, started out really slowly, and I was like, what the hell's going on here? Yes, like, there is too it, much going, going on at the beginning long. here. And then as soon as the sledding part happened, I was like, oh, I like that. That's good. Okay, yeah, this is classic. We have no real reason to have Billy here, but we want to decapitate someone on a sled, so let's write it in there. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Just throwing everything at the wall, which is 100% how they worked the deer antler scene in. Oh, because really? Billy has no reason to be at that house. He just happens oh, to oh, come well, in. Yeah. What? No, nothing. I was confused about something. Does he have Does he have like spidey senses, but for like when people are having sex or something? He must. Because well, otherwise, how, how would he know to go to that house? But he also has like spidey senses for when people are being naughty, right? Like, like a real Santa? Because he jumps out in front of the kid sledding and he yells, Well, I, I get the impression he... In this time, I get the impression he just happened to be there. Because he ducked into the woods when cops were... When a police car was going by. So I think he just stumbled upon these guys, but the Linnea Quigley scene, I don't know. He ran into some random person's house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then during the day, a police officer is driving up to the orphanage because Sister Margaret thinks he's going to go to the orphanage. And he sees a Santa Claus approaching all of the kids outside, including Ricky, Billy's brother. So he gets out and shoots the poor Santa Claus to death. We learn later that the Santa Claus was just a deaf priest, <laughs> so and of course sad. he's deaf. So he's deaf so that you know he couldn't respond when the guy's yelling "stop," turn around. Dude in a Santa suit shot right in front of a bunch of children. Like talk about traumatizing. But then it happens later too. It happens twice in the same day, which is great. Like an hour um, apart from each other. <laughs> but yeah, so the cop apologizes. The cop apologizes and says like okay i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna look around see if i find anything and he goes into this i think it's a bomb shelter and he walks around and as he comes out of that billy gets him in the torso with the axe and just throws him down there Mm -hmm. so billy is then let in by one of the stupid kids who thinks it's actually santa claus the mother superior is like no you know we're staying here be safe here but no the stupid kid lets billy in he's got his axe hidden behind his back And he comes up and he raises his axe at Mother Superior, but is shot from behind by the cop who arrived with Sister Margaret. So as he's dying, 
<laughs> you know, the kids are, of course, are like, oh my god, you guys killed Santa Claus. And, and Mother Superior is like, nah, that's not Santa Claus. Billy sucks. And then <laughs> he dies. And then Ricky, Billy's younger brother, looks up at Mother Superior and says, naughty. And that's yeah. how the movie ends. Yeah. It's over. To be continued slash shown again in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which that movie is a notorious movie because it's it's probably better known than this movie just for the garbage day scene alone. But it's a sequel to this, but it also shows about half of this movie. So perhaps we should have said at the outset that if you don't watch, if you don't haven't seen this movie but want to follow along, just watch the second movie because you'll see most of what's going on here. But yeah, so that's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Jim, what are your thoughts? I thought it was a sad movie. <laughs> I thought it was a really sad movie. There's just a lot of people getting killed and a lot of people for no reason. Going back to what I said earlier about how I was really into the movie for like the first half up until right after the whole department store stuff, I really liked seeing the character of Billy get berated and stuff by Mother Superior. But then once he became a killer, I just thought this is this is a little silly. Oh, it's incredibly it silly. silly. You say this is a sad movie. I say this is a joyous movie. I really do think <laughs> that this there's something just incredibly entertaining about this movie. And here's the thing. This movie is a mix of good and bad. It's not one or the other. You could maybe say there are more bad elements to this movie than good elements. Like I talked about, the guy who plays Billy, not that great. He's When he's just yelling, punish, over and over again in that kind of same tone, it gets <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of exhausting. But this is a movie that, contrary to most slasher movies in the 80s, the first half hour, the first 40 minutes or so, are spent completely on character development. We can argue all you want about how much that doesn't work, because I think a lot of it doesn't. Part of it is it's a different actor in several, you know, because Billy's a bunch of different ages. It does a lot of things that other movies wouldn't do. I mean, we're still shoving in just as many boobs and just as much blood as any of those other movies that don't bother with characters. And at a certain point in this movie, the building of the character doesn't matter because he apparently just snaps, even though he has enough motivation to go after Mother Superior. Eventually, he doesn't do it until after he decapitates some stupid sledder. I mean, so the character (laughs) building arguably doesn't work that well, and then it doesn't matter eventually. But the fact that it's there is kind of interesting to me. I agree with you that it's interesting, and I guess just to kind of go back on my point that I call it a sad movie I think it's sad because I feel bad for Billy because we see him just kind of beaten down berated we see him scarred and tortured and we know he's crazy and we know he has this issue and then he just snaps and starts killing people and you're like oh Billy I liked you You and especially after that montage at the toy store you're like oh no Billy you're doing so well you're doing so good Billy so you're kind of watching this movie from the perspective, if you will, of like Sister Margaret, because that's how she feels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then when he kind of snaps and goes crazy, I'm like, oh, really? Why? But then I kind of also want him to kill Mother Superior, and then he doesn't. And and I guess in my head, Billy's more of just like a, a, a tragic figure, or he, he's a victim of circumstance, I guess. Yeah, mostly. Here's the thing. Even his his first kill is reasonably justified in the context yes, of yeah. the movie, right? It's Andy trying to rape Pamela. Yeah. Once he kills Pamela, how can you care about him? How can yeah, exactly. you be on Billy's side? Yeah, and then, come on, Mr. Sims? Like, but what, he is what, the what, villain, too. I mean, even, even though we are meant to sympathize with him through the first half of the movie, he is ultimately your villain. I mean, Mother Superior is also a villain, but, like, I, it's just kind of a weird dynamic. 
Yeah, and then, I mean, well, because I, I was even thinking after the movie ended, I thought, or I, I think I would enjoy Silent Night, Deadly Night more if it was just about a crazy guy dressed as Santa killing people. Like, if that was the whole movie, if that's how it started. And, like, there, there's a news broadcast, like, I know it's Christmas Eve, everybody, but please remember to lock your doors. There's a man masquerading as a Santa Claus. He's robbed a he's robbed a convenience store, stole $31, and yada, yada, yada. So you, wanted, you wanted the movie to follow the person who murdered his parents, is what you're saying, basically. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I just use that as a, as a poor example, but I wanted the movie to kind of start with a, with a crazy person dressed as Santa, or like, you know, it would have been cool if they had, had I mean, because they had that mental hospital in there when they were visiting Grandpa. Like, how come, where, where's all the crazies, you know? I wanted, like, a crazy to escape and assault somebody in a Santa suit and then steal the well, Santa suit. Well, that's what you're looking, that you, then you are really going to enjoy Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, probably. <laughs> so that's basically what's going on there, just with 40 minutes of this movie thrown in there. So you watch this movie from the perspective of Sister Margaret. You know, yeah. you feel bad for Billy, you want to help him. It's frustrating and it's disappointing when he you know when he loses it i watched this movie from the perspective of mr sims where i just want to get shit-faced and watch a guy in a santa suit going around you know like it takes us a while to get there that by the time we do it's incredibly satisfying for me and what he does is so stupid and over the top and incredible that like oh man this this movie's a lot of fun for me it's weird because the first half has you thinking you should take the movie seriously, but then the second half is like, no, don't take any of this seriously. <laughs> and it's, so it's a little strange like that, but I like it. It's kind of like Shocker. We we talked about that. It wasn't, yeah, it was about half with Shocker where like the first half is pretty serious. The second half is just like throwing everything at the screen. Yeah, and I guess, and I guess the only reason in my head that Shocker worked for me more than uh, than this movie is that you were made to empathize with the protagonist of shocker meanwhile in this one you were made to empathize with the antagonist and then anti-hero yeah and then he just starts killing people and it's like what i don't know i don't know and you know come on sister margaret getting him a job at a toy store like i brought up earlier like come on what is this this is a joke you know it's it's a small town it's economy is 100 percent toy sales i don't know (laughs) yeah so is this movie deserving of how controversial it was, do you think? No, definitely not. I mean, it's got a few too many almost rape scenes, but... Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's not because, you know, in the 80s with these slasher movies, so many of them were very, very violent and so many of them had a lot of sex, some of it rape, that this movie, it's a little bit on the sleazier side, but it's by no means the most extreme. It's not the prowler. You know, where a naked woman gets stabbed with a pitchfork while she's taking a shower like that. I don't know. It's 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 kind of everything you want out of an 80s slasher movie, even though you don't really want the almost rape. Like you kind of know that's in a lot of these movies. So it's like you kind of you almost expect it. One thing that I think is really important for slasher movies, and this is what, I mean, Friday the 13th has made a living out of this. You want your villain to have a signature weapon. In this case, we get the axe. Mm-hmm. but you don't want every kill to be an axe kill no. you want some creativity because that gets boring after a while you know jason he's got his machete but he can kill you with his bare hands he can kill you with axes he can crush your head and have your eyeball pop out you know all that stuff he can hug you to death he does that at one point <laughs> but in this movie we get we get axe kills we get box cutter kills we get bow and arrow kills we get deer antler kills we get christmas light strangling kills it's incredibly creative how many people does he actually kill with the axe i think it's just two it's it's the cop and the kid and it's uh the sledder right yeah yeah now i I agree with you i I actually i like all the kills but something because i 
I don't know if we spoke about this already, but I'm pretty sure I hadn't seen this movie, mo- like with most movies on our list. But when I looked up the poster for it, it had... It's uh, the uh, axe, yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's the axe and like a Santa arm coming out of the top of a chimney. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is going to be It's a classic great. poster. Yeah, and I was like, this is going to be great. He's going to be jumping down people's chimneys and killing people and like attacking people. And So you wanted more chimney action. But no, I, I wanted more Santa-esque antics, you know, instead of just uh, uh, some... Uh, a tragic yeah, he just burst through a door, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, I, just, I mean, I, I sort of see that. I, 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 I do see that to a certain extent. I think. Or like festive when it comes feels, to Christmas, like, like the Christmas lights. You know, if you added more like yeah, garland stranglings, great. you know, bring that in. <laughs> I mean, he could kill someone with an icicle, which that happens in one of the Black Christmases, maybe even more than one of them. Did you know my I'm dad trying was to think in of like Black Christmas? The seventy-four one? No way. Yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> is dad he a caroler and... or something? Well, he's an extra. I forget what scene it is, but him and my him and one of his best friends is an extra. They're kids. <laughs> well, yeah, like because that was shot at the University of Toronto. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other Christmassy things he could have killed people with. Giant candy cane. I mean, what? Who has a giant candy cane though? Oh, but it'd be on somebody's like, lawn. I'm trying you know, to talk Christmas. Oh, you know, he could shove someone in a in a fire because because a lot of people have like yeah. fireplaces going Christmas. You know, Yule log kind of thing. Yeah, I suppose they could have taken more advantage of that. I mean, I don't really think Christmas when I think bow and arrows. You know, I think Valentine's Day. <laughs> but, you know, if they could have just been more creative with, like, the festivity around it all. Well, you know, at, at the very least, he does give someone a gift, and it's a horrifying gift. <laughs> it's, it is, yeah. It's not it's quite as blood. great as, like, <laughs> night, Nightmare Before Christmas when the kid opens up his christmas gift and it's just a severed head i mean th- if they could have worked that in there somehow that would have been amazing yeah so jim of these two movies silent hill and silent night deadly night which of the two do you prefer uh you know you might actually be surprised but i prefer silent night deadly night i'm not surprised because i've seen silent hill um because i also <laughs> prefer silent night deadly night and i don't i didn't hate silent hill it could have been far worse than it was but for me, Silent Night, Deadly Night is just incredibly entertaining. I think there's a certain criteria where there are certain movies that are better drive-in movies than they are movies, and that's Silent Night, Deadly Night. There are also movies that are better movies than they are drive-in movies, and that's Dr. No, which we said, you know, maybe not a great drive-in movie, but a pretty good movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, this movie is, it gives you kind of everything you want out of a drive-in movie, and I happen to find it incredibly entertaining. I like the music choices, as weird and baffling as they are. They made their own original Christmas song, which is pretty fun. You know, it's actually not yeah. that bad of a song, too. No, yeah. I mean, it's so I just spooky, I like this I movie like a lot. Yeah, and I mean, I have to agree with you. I think really, the thing that really ruined Silent Hill for me was, one, the running time. It was just, it just went, at, at a certain point, it just went on too long a bit. Yeah. With just more and more confusion coming every second and yeah and then that whole needless secondary storyline with sean bean that was that you could Mm -hmm. just cut right out of the movie and i mean to be fair silent night deadly night has several scenes that you could cut out of the movie because they have nothing to do with anything but they're scenes that involve a topless woman being impaled on deer antlers so you don't (laughs) want to touch that scene it needs to stay in all right so these two movies together jim how do you think this works as a double feature well, we've already kind of talked about how we don't think Silent Hill would be a good drive-in movie. But if it had to be, I don't know. I'm not really feeling either of them together. I'm tempted to say this is a decent double feature, really on the strength of the second movie. I think Silent Night, Deadly Night is just like a perfect second feature in a drive-in double feature. It's got a lot of nudity. It's got a lot of blood. It is incredibly dumb. 
it, I mean, it's what I want out of that thing. There's there's unintentional laughs, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the scene where the where the guy gets beheaded, sledding is is very <laughs> yeah. funny to me. I agree with you. I agree with you, and I agree that Silent Night, Deadly Night is definitely a better second feature. But the question I'm going to pose to you, my friend, is: Do you want to have to sit through? silent hill to get to an hour and a half of silent night deadly night which is really actually about 40 minutes because the first half of the movie is all about character building well you know we still get a grandpa scaring the shit out of a grandson i mean there's there's good moments in the first half too (laughs) okay but and and the the montage is like the best thing i've ever seen so i so i will say that i don't think silent night deadly night is just the second half and I'll also say, like, even though Silent Hill is a little bit longer than I would like, maybe 15 minutes too long, it's not like it's a chore to sit through, even no. though it is too long. There are still moments where I enjoyed it, and I didn't hate the movie. So I don't think I mind sitting through Silent Hill to get to a movie that, though it's far from a great movie, that I really, really enjoy. So I'm going to say this is a decent double feature, not a great one. Now, and see, while I like Silent Hill, and while I think... Silent Night, Deadly Night is more enjoyable to watch. And again, as I've already said, I like the first half a lot. And I think Billy's a tragic character on the whole. I like them both, but I I would not pay money to go to a drive-in and watch these two playing together. So Jim, before we get to what we're doing next week, I feel like I have to point something out that we didn't talk about earlier. And that's this really weird coincidence. But Silent Hill was co-written by Roger Avery. Roger Avery is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter because mm-hmm. he co-wrote Pulp Fiction with Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Which I mention that because most people just think of that as you know it's Tarantino's movie. But Roger Avery not only killed someone with his car, a la Matthew <laughs> Broderick, but yeah. he also has a connection to one of our movies that we're doing next time, and that's Phantasm because he actually wrote a script for a Phantasm sequel that Don Coscarelli was ready to get made, but they just couldn't get funding for it. So, weird coincidence. Remember, we cheated to get Silent Night, Deadly Night up here, whereas Silent Hill was selected randomly and Phantasm selected randomly. So, just weird oh that those things God. are happening. The Roger Avery connection. <laughs> but anyways, so we're starting with Phantasm as our first feature next time, and it's followed up by Screwballs, the sex comedy that's a ripoff of... I think Porky's. I think it, I think they're ripping off Porky's. Maybe Meatballs. <laughs> I don't know, but it's not an original movie at any rate. So Phantasm and Screwballs. Phantasm is available on Shudder in the beautiful restored version. Restored by Bad Robot, a.k.a. J.J. Abrams' company. But yeah, so that's next time. Until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter at DriveInPodcast. No underscores, hyphens, or spaces. Ben Patrick. And I'm still Jim. Debatable. <laughs> and so, uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, stay safe out there. Well, you know, Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. Or a silent night in Denver night. Or just a silent hill. <laughs>